Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. All right. We need a few more things to happen this morning. Maybe some monkeys, monkeys juggling something, I don't know, maybe a clown or two. Welcome to Trinity Community Church. Are you happy to be here today? Uh, Welcome to everybody in the house. Welcome to everybody online. I'm Pastor TJ. I'm the lead pastor here. It's good to have you all with us on a a celebratory weekend. How many of you know that the church was built for joy, happiness, hope, strength, redemption, deliverance? That's why we suck air. That's why we exist. As churches, we don't sit in high lofty places of judgment. We, uh, We reach down and we help our brothers and sisters to become who God created them to be. That is the power of the church, beloved, and that's the power that you possess and I possess. Now, sometimes we forget who we are. Have you ever been driving around and you're driving and you're driving and you're driving and then you realize you have no idea where you're at? Even with GPS, you have no idea where you're at sometimes. Sometimes that happens for us as a church. Um, You know, sometimes we forget that the church is not perfect. You know why the church isn't perfect? Because you are here. I'm here. The second we inject us, the church loses its perfection. But God loves us in spite of that. Um, I remember years ago, 30 years ago, gosh, getting old now. Uh, I was at a little church and I was interning out of school. And I was hanging out and uh, I remember uh, hanging out with, uh, we would hang out with our pastor and his wife. And, and he was so wise. He was the smartest most centered man I'd ever met. He was 31 years old, so wise as a pastor. I thought, this guy knows everything. So as he's teaching us to kind of do stuff, and it's why I remember sitting there one day, Robin and I, and, and he and his wife, and um, there was a discussion about the, the refrigerator in the fellowship hall of the church. I don't know if you've ever looked into the refrigerator in, in a church building, that is the place where you drop off things. You, there could be things in that refrigerator from a potluck from 1962. I would say this, if you're hungry, do not eat anything out of a church refrigerator. You could die. You could. So the discussion came up where the church refrigerator was just was awful, it was terrible, and blah, 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 blah. And, I, and I'm sitting there, and, and my pastoral couple, they were having a, a, a loud discussion on whose job it was to clean the church fridge. And I remember, for whatever reason, that was the hot button on my pastor. Pastors have buttons. That was his button. And, and, and his wife said one thing, and he said, I will never clean it. And, and he says, only, he goes, I'm nobody's slave. I'm nobody's this. I'm nobody's that. And it was, it made me uncomfortable. You know how sometimes your mom and dad fight, and it makes you a little uncomfortable. You don't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. Mom and dad were fighting. I was uncomfortable. So I just kind of snuck off, and I started to pray. I was like, because <sighs> I didn't want anybody to die. I didn't want lightning to come down. I didn't know what to do. And I remember praying, I said, Lord, I don't know what to do. And I heard very clearly the Holy Spirit speak to me. He says, go clean the fridge. I said, like, is there anybody else up there I could talk to? Because it's bad. That fridge is bad. You could die. So I snuck off. Didn't say anything to anybody. I snuck in there. I even had the lights off at the fellowship hall. I opened the fridge. I started to clean the fridge. And uh, lo, lo and behold, a little while later, my pastor popped in there while I was cleaning the fridge. And he looked at me. He goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm cleaning the fridge. And he says, why are you cleaning that fridge? And I didn't know what to say. Have you ever been there? Imagine me not knowing what to say. I said, I, don't, I said, um, I said, ah, because Jesus told me to. He goes, Jesus told you to clean the fridge. I said, I'm just, I said, pastor, I'm just trying to be like Jesus. 
And he got so mad. He stormed off. And I was like, oh, what do I do now? And I said, I'm going to keep cleaning the fridge. Because now I've moved from servanthood to probably this is some type of penance that I need to take care of. Clean the fridge. I remember about 10 minutes later, he snuck back in. He apologized to me. He said, I'm sorry. He said, that was a bad example. I said, I, I don't know what to do. I said, I'm just, I'm just cleaning the fridge. I'm just trying my best to do what I think Jesus would want me to do. Isn't that kind of like our heart cry? You know, sometimes we don't get it right. But sometimes, you know, we, things don't even make sense to us. But we're just trying our best to live like Jesus, to act like Jesus, to talk like Jesus. And most importantly, to love like Jesus. This entire month, we're talking about what it means for you and I to truly love like Jesus. You know, last week we talked about, you know, about what it means for us to continue to, to kind of, you know, we talked about missing the mark and how God has, he, he has stuff built in for us when we missed the mark a couple weeks ago. There's a, it's a good series. I want to encourage you. We don't have time to go in today. You can tell we have a lot of stuff going on. Go back and watch some of the stuff. Listen to the podcast. And, and grow in your faith. Help to be like Jesus. Today we look at another aspect of loving like Jesus. What does it mean to love like Jesus through acts of service? As a believer, we should feel God's pleasure when we serve others. Do you know that Christianity is not a spectator sport? It is a participation sport. That means this. We are called to get involved. We're called to be the church. We're called to be Jesus' hands. We're called to be Jesus' feet. You cannot sit on the sideline and listen to me every week and do nothing and be a fully devoted follower of Christ. You can't. God in us requires us to do something. Everybody say something. If you've got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 13. If you have our app, you get on our app, you get all my notes. If you're the U version of the Bible, you look under live events and you'll see Trinity Community Church. Take a look at it. We're going to look today at a very famous story. All of you know it. doesn't matter what part of the faith you've come from. It's one of the greatest acts of service that you can find in the Bible. Jesus displays for us incredible humility and service, and he gives us a pattern to follow. John 13, starting at verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in, his, in, his, in the world, he loved them to the end. Verse 2. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon, uh, Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come up from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter and said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. You kind of saw that acted out here today. Verse 9, then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew that he, who was going to betray him, and that's why he said not everyone was clean. Verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. 
I've set an example for you that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. You know, in our, in our faith, in Christianity, knowledge is not enough. You have to do something with what God tells you to do. So when you look at this passage, I think we clearly see two very strong concepts and ideas that Jesus lays out for us that we need to, to grasp in order to love people like Jesus, in order to serve people the way that Jesus served them. The first context, the first thing that we can grab is this. Jesus always sets our example. He always sets the example. Let me ask you a question. When it comes to your faith, what is your rudder? When it comes to your faith, what guides you? Now, many of us in this room have come from different faith traditions. Each tradition comes with expectations. You know my story. I grew up in orthodoxy. I grew up Greek orthodox. In orthodoxy, we followed Christianity a little different than how we follow Christianity here at Trinity Community Church. Now, with all of those expectations, it's easy for us to get mixed up and for us to get confused because everybody thinks their way is right. How many of you have a family with children, maybe teenagers, and when you have your discussions about something, everybody thinks their way is right? Right? Everybody thinks their way is the best. They do. But those of us that are parents, we all understand this. We're always right. Sometimes I think children forget this. Children, listen to me. Look at me. Your household is not a democracy. That's the United States of America. That is not your household. It is a kingdom. There's a king. There's a queen. And understand this. Look me in the eyes. The queen is in charge. Correct? And there's men that are afraid, they're afraid to move. I'm paralyzed with fear. I don't know what to say. All of us think our way is the best. For example, we, um, last Sunday night, we had a beautiful time. We had our, our, our big pig roast. How many of you are here Sunday night? We had the pig. Dave Deal cooked the pig. We had a cornbread cook-off. We had a chili cook-off. Everybody had a great time. And, and amongst all of the festivities and the fun and the love, we had some competitions that were happening. We did a cornbread cook-off. How many of you put cornbread into the cornbread cook-off? It was good, good stuff. And then we had a chili cook-off. Now, how many of you put chili in? There you go. So the goal of, these, of, the, of these, these things is very simple. Everybody believes in their heart that they make the best whatever. They do. So we have people that make cornbread and they made the best cornbread. And then it's our job as a church to vote to who we believe really, who we can affirm that their, their understanding is true. Yes, you do make the best cornbread. Well, just this crazy thing happened on Sunday night. I happened to enter my chili in the chili cook-off. Yes, Kelly, this is shameless. <laughs> it is. I, I, I happened to enter my chili. Now, I think my chili is the best. But you, the people, the people affirmed my belief that my chili, and if you look right here, there I am with the chili, with, 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 with the number one trophy. And if you'd like to touch it later... It's right here. So as Miss Cassandra so eloquently put it, I have bragging rights for a whole year. So understand this, for this entire year, I'm going to brag. 
Kelly, you got to knock me off the mountain, baby. <laughs> this is, she's coming right now. Don't you touch my trophy. <laughs> Daniel, control your woman. <laughs> Here's my point. Again, sometimes when it comes to our faith, living our faith out is a bit, a bit confusing because everybody's telling you that their way is the best. Everybody's telling you, well, this is the way you need to go. So how do you figure out how you're supposed to follow Jesus when things get murky? How do you feel about how to live your, your, your devoted life? You anchor to the person of Jesus. Did you hear me? Jesus is our rudder. When you study the life of Christ, you see the perfect example of how God desires us to interact with our world, how God desires us to live with our world. Know this. We all have our ideas and our opinions. There's plenty of podcasts out there to tell you what's right. There's plenty of books out there that'll tell you what's right. Now understand this. I'm a podcast person. I read books. I'm a voracious reader. I love to read. But know this. The life of, tr of Christ trumps all of those things. Even your opinions, even your comfort. That's what is our rudder. That's what propels us. Our faith needs to be wrapped up in the example of the life of Christ. That's why stories like this are so important to us. This is why you got to know the stories of the Bible. This is why you got to get your nose in the book. This is why you need to know what you believe. It's not about even what I tell you. I expect you to go into your book and to read what I've taught you to make sure that it's true. I do. So when you start to lose your way, when you start to lose your heart, go back and anchor yourself to Jesus. Rudder yourself to Jesus. Tether yourself to Jesus. Now that process starts by asking this question. Does your faith reflect the life of Christ? Does it? Because he sets the example. So what did Jesus model for us? What did Jesus show us an example for us when it comes to living out a vibrant faith? When you look at this passage, there's three little things in this passage that he does that we need to do as believers. The first is this. He lived a life that was connected. His life was connected to the Father. Do you know that Jesus didn't do anything that the Father didn't tell him to do. He didn't. He was completely connected to the Father. Jesus showed us, he modeled for us, what a perfect connection of life looks like. Look at the passage again. There's little subtle things in the passage. It says, it was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. How did he know that this was the time? He was connected to God. Or you can go to the next slide. Look at verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things uh, under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. How did he know that the Father gave him power to put all these things under his feet? He was connected to the Father. He lived a life of connection. We have to be connected. Why is it important for us to be connected to God? Well, it's the same reason why Jesus, it was important for Jesus to be connected to God. So he could figure out what God wanted him to do and he could establish and expand the kingdom of God. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Well, well, Pastor, he was Jesus Christ. I'm not Jesus Christ. My name is, is Phil. I'm not Jesus Christ. My name is Mary. So I don't understand what he did and what I did. They're two separate things. No, they're not. Understand this. When Jesus walked the planet, I'm going to give you some. This is theology 101. You ready for this? Put on your thinking caps. If you have glasses, this is the time to put them on. When Jesus walked on the planet, he was fully God and he was fully man. He was. Fully God and fully man. That's the only way that you and I could experience salvation. He had to embody both things. Now, while Jesus walked the earth, he walked the earth as a man, 
fully empowered by the Holy Spirit. Why did he do that? He did that so he could tell us, I did it, you can do it too. If he lived from the God part of who he was, how many of you know that there's a God, and how many of you know that you're not God? Do you understand what I'm talking about here? So he had to live a life as a man connected to the Father. This is what Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says. A lot of theology here. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Did you see the nooks and the crannies are there? He lived as a man for us. Now Jesus became one of us. By doing this, he set the prime example for us. Men and women empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now in order to be that man, he had to be connected to the Father. You can't do God's will and not talk to him. You can't do God's will and not know him. Because all of us have this thing that elevates our will above his. We do. He did nothing, nothing that wasn't connected to the Father. Are you connected to the Father this morning? Are you connected to the Father where you know exactly what he wants you to do? John 5, 19 says this about Jesus. Jesus explained, because I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son does. By the way, how did Jesus connect to the Father? He prayed. He'd sneak away. He'd pray. He worshiped. He did, his, he did God's will. He lived a life where God was the center, and all the other stuff that Jesus did was all wrapped around what God wanted in the center. That's what he did. That's what we do. He lived a life that was connected. The second thing that Jesus did is this. He lived a life that was concerned. Look at the passage again. Something simple but profound. It says, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothes, and wrapped the towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So why did he wash the disciples' feet? Well, back in Jesus' day, you know, they had sandals. They didn't have Nikes. They didn't have Pumas. K-Swiss, I don't know what your shoe of choice is. They had, we call them J.C. Water Walkers. <laughs> Jesus Christ, well, you get that? Jesus Christ Water Walkers? Sandals, they had sandals. And the roads were dirty, they were dusty. They weren't like great roads like what we have now. Uh-huh. Right? So people would walk from place to place, and while you're walking, your feet get dusty. On the same road you would walk, there'd be animals, and they would be leaving, you know, surprises for you to walk in and stuff like that. So it was customary when you got to the home, either your house or the home that you were visiting, you'd walk in, and depending on the stature of the people, their servants, usually the lowest of the low, would come, they would take your sandals, they would clean your sandals, and then they would clean your feet from all the dust, all the dung, all the other things. So this was part of the hospitality of the age. So when Jesus did this for the disciples, it rocked their world. Why? Because he was showing, I am the lowest. I'll do whatever I need to do to serve you. I'm the lowest of the low. So Jesus models this for us. He was concerned. Did you think about this? Jesus was concerned with the dirty feet of the disciples. He was so concerned. He wanted them to experience and, 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 and be loved, appreciated, human. We have need all around us, beloved. 
And anytime you and I see need, we can do one of two things. We can put our blinders on and go about our business, or we can open our eyes and allow the Holy Spirit to ping our hearts. That starts with concern for your brothers and your sisters. All of us have been there. All of us have been at the, the stoplight, the guy with the sign, and you're praying, oh God, please don't let me stop right in front of that guy. Lord, please, oh no, it's red! And they come up to you, and what do you do? You do the stare into space drill. And they walk in it, you know. And then we come up with our things. Well, you know, he's probably, it's, it's a racket. And for some people it is. For some it's not. All of us have heard stories of people who don't have food. They've lost their ability to, to live. We've all heard the stories of people that have, their lives start to crumble. Sometimes they deserve it. Sometimes they don't. Regardless of either one of those reasons, what is the heart of God for the situation? Jesus was concerned, so we need to be concerned. Have you ever thought about the life of Jesus? Have you ever thought, have you ever put yourself in the place of Jesus? Most of the people of Jesus' day, that you could put them into two camps. The first camp was this. They hated him. They hated him. From the very beginning, they just wanted to take him out. They hated him because he challenged the systems of the day. So you had the, the group of people that hated him, and, and you know, the religious people, they would, they would rile up the crowd of people. I hate Jesus. Why you should hate Jesus? Yeah, we hate him too. Now, thank God, we don't talk about other people like that now. Right? Right? I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. On the news this week, and I'm, I'm praying through this. I'm praying through, you know, Ben, our quarterback, retired. They're saying they think we might grab to be our next starting quarterback. I can't even say his name. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Carson Wentz. I said it. I said it. Exactly. The baby's crying. Tell me Jesus isn't speaking. And I'm like, what? And I'm watching everybody and their mother has an opinion if we should have this guy or not. You know, everything's filled. All the Pittsburghs are, he's he's the one, he's the answer, he's the Messiah. We're going to die. What are you guys thinking? Everybody has an opinion. And Jesus' day was the same way. So you had people that either hated Jesus, and then the other group of people were the people that wanted anything they could get from him. They followed him because of what he could give them. Look, it's Jesus. Heal me. Look, it's Jesus. Make bread. Look, it's Jesus. Turn water to wine. We need that now. Those are the two camps of those that followed him. Even the disciples had no idea what they were doing. Do you think that was an exhausting life? Do you think that was tiring? Do you think every once in a while Jesus was like, man, can you guys just leave me alone? Why did I say yes to this anyway? Right? What continued to propel Jesus to do what he did for us? His concern and his love for us. This is Matthew 35, 36, and I don't know why. I remember even as a kid, when I first stumbled upon this, when I first became a believer, it spoke to me something about the heart of God. It says this, Jesus went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Look at verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. Jesus had compassion, concern, and his heart. This heart of concern led to practical ways that he could help those that were around him. 
practical ways. So he had concern for us. And because of that, he changed the world, and we're here today. The last thing that he possessed was this. He was courageous. What does it mean that Jesus was courageous? He wasn't afraid to do what God asked of him. It's one thing to know what the plan is. It's another thing to be able to walk the plan out. Look at the passage again. This is great. It says, when he finished washing the, their, their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to, this, to his place. He said, do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and that rightfully so. That's what I am. You go to the next slide. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set an example of that that you should follow, as I have done for you. Who did it first? Jesus. He set the example. And then he said, it's time for us to do that. What does this show us? Jesus was not an armchair quarterback. He didn't sit in some lofty place and command people to tell them what to do. He got in the muck, the mire, and the dirt with us. He stepped into our world, and he did the only thing that he could do. He died for us. He made a way through the cross so that we could be with him. Do you know in this process that Jesus wrestled with living out his purpose? Sometimes we think Jesus just walked along and it was this like ethereal thing. He floated. Ah, it's time for me to go here. Do you know that Jesus rescued with the road that was ahead, or he wrestled with the road that was ahead of him? He did. He wrestled with what God was asking him to do. We get a glimpse of this in the garden. Flip your Bibles over to Luke. This is the human part of Jesus. On the night, everything's going down. He's getting ready to go to the cross. He knows the road that's ahead of him. He goes to the garden and he prays. He gets his disciples, his goombas, his best of the best, and says, guys, I need you to stand with me. I need you to be with me. They couldn't even make it an hour. How many of you have ever felt alone? You're in good, you're in good you know, uh, good. Jesus felt the same way. Look at Luke twenty-two forty-one. 41. It says, he walked away about a stone's throw and he knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. What was the heart of God? That he would not have to suffer. Look at verse 43. Then an angel of heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. I don't know if I could describe courage any better than that. To know the road ahead and say, I'm going to do it anyway. Even though his heart was, God, if you could just not have me suffer like this, that would be great. But nonetheless... You're the one in control, not me. Living out God's plan for us took Jesus' incredible courage. So Jesus gave us an incredible example of what it means to, to love like him, to be like God, to live like God, but that's not, not all. He didn't just set the example for us, but the second thing that he did for us is this. He also, for us, set the expectation. What does that mean? God expects things from us. Our faith demands a response from us as believers. It does. It's not enough just to celebrate the things that Jesus did. God expects us as believers not just to talk about Jesus, but to practically live out our faith the way that Jesus modeled that. So what does that modeling of faith look like? Well, let's follow the pattern of Jesus. We just talked about it. The first thing you and I need to be is connected. 
You and I need to live a life that's connected to the Spirit. Why is it important for us to be connected to the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit connects us and leads us to the heart of God, plain and simple. And understand this, beloved. If you're not living out your faith connected to God, connected to the heart of God, you know what you're doing? Oh, this is going to be tough. Everybody say, Pastor TJ. Pastor TJ. Say, we love, you. we love you. Because Jesus said we had to. If you're not connected to God and his kingdom, you're creating your own kingdom. Based on what you like, your style, and what you think is right. Have you ever thought you were following God, and then God showed up and you're like, I wasn't doing anything I was supposed to. This is nuts. Huh? Has God ever thrown you a curveball? And you're like, man, I, I, I did not. Wow. It's easy for, for us, left on our own, to, to, to go astray. What's the Bible say? All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. So the Holy Spirit, as we stay connected to him, is like our GPS. He keeps us on track. He continues to reveal to us the heart of the Father. John 16, 13 puts it this way. When the Spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth. He won't speak on his own behalf, but he'll tell you what he has heard. He'll tell you about the future. He'll bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. Connecting to God, spending time with him each day is not optional for us as believers. It's essential. You need to stay connected to the heart of God. If you're not connected to God, beloved, you have no idea what he wants you to do. Well, I've I've, I've been doing it for 30 years. I know exactly what to do. No, you don't. The landscape of our world continues to change every day. What makes GPS effective? Well, those roads are roads. They're not moving those roads. Have you ever had your GPS take you to a road that doesn't exist? You know, turn right now into the pond. What? But the GPS says there's a road there. I understand what the GPS says, but there's no road there. Our landscape continues to change. And if you're not connected to God every day, you have no idea how to get where you're going spiritually. You just don't. And if you're not connected to God every day, you have no idea specifically what God wants you to do. Again, if you don't know God's heart and his agenda, we have a tendency then to elevate our own heart and agenda. And then things get messy. When we elevate our own heart and agenda, do you know usually what steers us? Two things. Pride and fear. You ever, like, had an encounter that made you afraid? When you're afraid, do you act normal? When you walk down the stairs and you hear something go, does that, does that bring out of you a normal response? You know, you've all seen the movies, you know, oh, my gosh, I think somebody's trying to kill us. Quick, let's run to the basement where there's no way to escape. In our underwear, right? Come on. That makes perfect sense. Right? That's why you got to stay connected to God. So how do we stay connected to the Spirit? You pray. You worship. You seek His face. You do what we're doing together. We gather together. We stay connected. Beloved, are you connected today? Are you connected? Really connected? Do you know Him? And more importantly, does He know you? Does He know you enough to trust you with his heart for the world. Second, we have to be concerned. What does it mean to be concerned? It means this. We need to live our lives selflessly, not selfishly. 
Too many times when it comes to our faith and to churches, we have more of a consumer approach than we have a, you know, what can I bring to the table for the kingdom? Sometimes we do this with churches. I know that we don't do this, but other church people do this. We don't do this. We're fine with this. We'll shop at churches. Well, who's got the best kids ministry? Who's got the best coffee? Who's got the best worship? Who's got the best talk? Well, we took care of the talk part. That's already done. Who's got the best stuff? The best the be- Hello. The fan club will be meeting out there later. Isn't it funny sometimes how our mindset shifts? Are you here because Jesus told you to be here? If you are, none of that other stuff matters. We either come to partake of those things or we come as part of the solution. God wants to raise up people to do these things. This is us. This is the church. The church is all of us. The church is not steel and drywall and brick. The church is flesh and blood and breath and spirit. We are the church. You're the church. That's what makes us powerful. Not just the stuff that happens here. It's the stuff that happens here in your heart. We had an elder meeting yesterday. And I'm looking at these, these, these elders. All of us. Old. Now, just because we say elder doesn't mean we're all old. So take a step back. Now, there are a few of us that are. And as we're sitting there, I'm listening to these guys reason. And I'm hearing their hearts. And, and I had this, this, this moment. I just took a deep breath. I sat back and went, this is the power of the church. This is. This is the power of the church. Concern. Wisdom. Spirit flowing person to person. This is the power of the church. The church is a people, not a place. That's us, beloved. Right? There's something that God has all of us to do. I remember a few years ago, we were in Denver, and um, one of our large churches, and I, I know you're going to, please don't think, think ill of me. One of our large churches went, they, they had an issue, and they disbanded. And then when they disbanded, sheep started going different places. And we started to notice we had a few sheep that would come in and, and check us out. And um, so I'm sitting there one day, and there was, a, there was a family there, and I knew the guy. We'd done some stuff in the city. High-powered guy, high-powered family, and came the first week. I said, that's kind of cool. Maybe they'll kind of stay here. Was there the second week? Oh, this is kind of cool. I think they're getting settled in. Third week, oh, my gosh, they're still here. Let me give them a membership form. Fourth week, nowhere to be found. Fifth week, gone. Sixth week, didn't see him again. Somewhere along a couple months after they'd visited, I ran into them at the food store. I said, dude, I said, what happened to you? I thought you were going to be part of the family. He says, oh, we love that church. I said, well, what's the problem? He said, we love the worship. We love the teaching. We love the, the, the environment. We love all the stuff that you guys are doing. He goes, we just had one hang-up. I said, what was your hang-up? He says, well, we knew that if we stayed here at that church, you were going to make us do something. <laughs> Honest to goodness. He says, and we're not, we just want to go somewhere we can just be fed. And I said, you know what? You made the right decision. You made the right decision. We are actively living stones, part of the church. Part of that is being concerned. 1 Peter 4.10 says this, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. That's what God wants us to do. He wants you to use them well to serve one another. Are you serving? Are you serving? Are you concerned? Now here at TCC, we have many serving opportunities here. Things for you to do, things for you to get connected with. I want to encourage you, after the service today, you'll see serve tables outside. 
Go to a serve table. Pick one thing to get involved in. Just one. Do one thing. Get on. If you're doing nothing in the church, you got to do something, beloved. Can you, can you see me? Look at my eyeballs. You hear what I'm saying? Get connected to do something. Well, Pastor, Pastor TJ, kids aren't my thing because they bite. I understand. Amen. Get you a tetanus shot. Get down there. <laughs> right? Find a place to serve. Third, we need to be courageous like Jesus was courageous. God expects us not just to hear the word, but to practically move as a church, not just in truth, but in power, in action. This is more than just greeting and coffee and cleaning and even giving. All of those things are good. Please don't stop doing those things. But what I'm talking about is allowing the Holy Spirit to uncover your purpose and practically allowing the Spirit to fill you so that you can be the church inside these walls and outside of these walls. That's what I'm talking about. That's what you need. You don't need courage to make coffee. Sometimes you need courage to drink the coffee that we make, but you don't need courage to make the coffee. If your faith does not require you to take steps that are uncomfortable, it's not real faith at all. Jesus will never leave you comfortable. He just doesn't do that. To follow God requires great courage. It does. Why? Because when you release the kingdom, you release something bigger than you. This is what John 14, 12 says. The words of Jesus. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works that I've done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I'll do it. So the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I'll do it. When you read that passage, does the weight of that passage hit you between the eyes? Jesus Christ said, you will do greater works than he did. Let that sink in. How are you doing in the greater works department? And understand this, beloved, when I speak to you, I'm speaking to me. How are we doing in the greater works department? What keeps us from moving into the greater works area, arena? Fear. What overcomes fear? Courage. Remember the words of Joshua? Be strong and courageous, young man. I've given you the land. All you got to do is step in. Be courageous. He asks us to be courageous. 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power and love and of a sound mind. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. So what is God asking of you? We live in dark times. We live in times where evil is running unmolested, in our country, in our communities, doing whatever he wants. Your enemy is not flesh and blood, beloved. Your enemy is spirit. Your enemy is powers and principalities. We are facing and fighting the forces of darkness. Do me a favor. Don't try to fight darkness with a butter knife. You need to be fully empowered by the spirit. Courageous. The church is the only thing on this planet that can deal with darkness. We're the only thing on this planet that can deal with powers and principalities and the darkness that's trying to, to, to flood our world. And the last time I checked, you are the church. Are you courageous? Are you ready to step with God? For us, it starts with laying down 
our pride, our fears, our will, putting the towel around our waist, saying, God, as I have these great aspirations and plans and dreams, but Lord, all those things are subject to you. Are you ready to take that step? Bow your heads with me. I just want you to take a minute with the Spirit. Again, the Holy Spirit speaks to you just like He speaks to me. Just ask God. Say, God, am I doing what you want me to do? Am I seeing things the way that I'm supposed to? Does my faith reflect you and your life? And ask Him. Say, Lord, if you're asking me to, to step into things, to be something, show me if I'm doing it. If not, Lord God, show me the way I need to be in. Let the Holy Spirit listen, or speak to you. Just, just, just listen. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.